Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 18. And today we are interviewing Lou Walker. And how did you get to meet Lou Walker, Jackie? We were in a a group of us that were at the PhD conference and she came over and was speaking to some people there. And she invited me over to, to her stand that she had there to see her research that she'd been doing. And it was then that I asked her to come on and be a guest. Wonderful. So I think I met her again at the 2018 and obviously her presentation again at the 2019 PhD conference. And with my background in cultures, management cultures, I found her thesis and her results fascinating. So let me tell you a little bit more about Lou. Lou is a health coach and she helps clients change those sticky habits that seem to get in the way of health and living life to the fullest. She has a particular interest in the benefits of eating real food for weight management and workplace health and well-being. For 16 years, Lou was a leadership development consultant specialising in behavioural diagnostics and personal development. But a long-standing interest in the relationship between health and performance led her to a master's degree in obesity and weight management and a postgraduate certificate in human nutrition and then a career change towards health coaching. Her master's research was the first academic study into workplace cake culture. Its findings has implications for workplace health and Lou is campaigning to help organisations rethink workplace snacking and food-based reward culture to reduce workplace sugar consumption. Outside of work, she is an athletics coach and sports massage therapist, an ambassador for PHC UK, and on the steering group for Real Food Campaign. Yeah, great. So let's go over and listen to what she has to say. I did this recording by myself. Welcome, Lou, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you on the show. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for asking me. So what I like to start asking my guests with is where in the world are you? Mainly because I'm really curious about where people are, but um, I'm sure other people will be too. I'm in Winchester or near Winchester in Hampshire in the UK. In the UK. Brilliant. So um, I know that you uh, are now more low carb than keto but um how did you start going low carb to keto or keto to low carb even 
about five or six years ago, actually probably no, six or seven years ago, I was um, competing in Ironman, which uh, I don't know if you know what those are, but they're really long. They're bonkers, yeah. Bonkers triathlons. triathlons. Yeah. Yes. Very long triathlons. Um, and for somebody like me, that means I'm out, um, out doing on the course for about 13, 14 hours at a time. So I, for, I mean, clearly nutrition for something like that is really key. Um, and I did lots of reading and lots of research and there's lots of articles about there out there as to how to, to fuel yourself on the, on the day. But as my, my husband put it really well the other day, he said, actually Lou started looking at, you know, this kind of way of eating so that she didn't end up on a drip at the end of her Ironman races. Mm. So for the, I've, I've done three and for the first two, I was fine on the course, didn't feel great towards the end, but who would, um, but did end up on a drip being dehydrated, blah, blah, blah. And of course I was really keen to avoid that. So started doing some research um, and realized that all the sugar and the gels and the bars and the Gatorade sugary stuff that you take in on events like that, they weren't do doing me any good. They just weren't. I didn't like the idea of taking so much stuff. It was costing me a fortune. And clearly it wasn't helping because I was on a drip at the end. So yeah, that's not good. No, it's it's there's clearly something not not quite right. Um, anyway, suffice, I did a bit of research. Suffice to say, suffice to say, in my third and final Ironman, um, I didn't really eat anything. I had um, the odd. I had half a banana on the run, um, but before that, I had some almonds when I was on the bike, which of course is very is. This was six or seven years ago. That's not what the advice was. The ice was the advice was carb, carb, carb. And there I think it still is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a little, there are more ketogenic, low-carb athletes around now, but I was definitely one of the weirdo bonkers ones. But anyway, suffice to say, I was fine. Um, I didn't run out of energy. It was my fastest one. And I thought, well, there's something in it. There's something in it. So it, it went from there, really. So why, why didn't you do any more Ironmans? <sighs> uh, they... They came along. I did them at a really good time in my, in my life. You have to have quite a lot of ducks set up nicely in a row to do it because you have to do so much training. And at the time, my kids were both at school. They were going to school on the bus. Uh, I wasn't picking them up from parties, taking them to school and all, the, all these things for nearly as much as I used to. There were sort of young teenagers at secondary school. Um, so that fitted in well. I've always been freelance, so I could schedule my, my uh, training. After a while, you know, it takes over your life. It really, really does. Yeah. And, you know, life moves on and you can't, you can do that much training all the time. I can't, I couldn't. So it's just time. And I get a little bit bored. So I, I had to move on to something else. With your open water swimming, was that part of the, part of the Ironman? I suppose that's where it started. I've always liked swimming. Uh, but open water swimming for triathlon and Ironman was was where I really got into it. But then, of course, I was head to toe in rubber, wearing a wetsuit. Um, whereas a week after I finished my last Ironman, I went down to the sea. I, I was missing. I just, you know, I just wanted to go for a swim in the sea. It was a lovely day in Bournemouth. 
and um, I got in the sea with my wetsuit on and, and it was a hot day and I ended up taking the wetsuit off and thought, you know, who needs a wetsuit? And then I wanted to do more swimming, met up with a really fantastic group of people on the beach in Bournemouth who were training to do um, cross-channel swims. And they didn't wear wetsuits. You can't do cross-channel swims in wetsuits. Right. So off came the wetsuit. It never went on again. I've never put it back on except for a couple of really icy dips in Scotland last year. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So are you still swimming, open water swimming? Yeah, not as much as I would really like to. I think, again, that sort of initial drive to train and train and train because I had a big, you know, for three or four years. There's a pattern here, three or four years of Ironman, three or four years of swimming, and then something else has to come along. But um, I went to university, back to university. That's what stopped that one. But yes, and I don't like swimming in pools, so I tend not to swim in swimming pools. I think once you swim in the sea and Scottish lochs and rivers, you don't want to get back in a chlorine pool. Mm. See, the thought of swimming in, in uh, lochs and open water just does not appeal to me at all. Oh, it's magical. I, th- I can really see why so many people feel it really helps their mental health or gives them a real boost or just, I mean, really, it's ridiculous. You can't help but grin all day long. Um, especially when it's freezing cold. Yeah, that's the thing that I don't like is the cold. Just the thought of getting in cold water doesn't appeal. It never, it's not nice. It's never nice. But I have to jacket, it is so worth it. It's, it's one of those things, some people dive in, some people sort of creep in. I'm definitely a creeper. Um, the swearing levels are absolutely outrageous when you get in <laughs> cold water because it's really uncomfortable. I don't think anybody ever, you get used to it, but it, it doesn't stop being painful. It's painful. It really is. But, oh, my God, it's worth it. It really um, is. Fabulous. You've just <laughs> got to get through the pain bit. Okay. Well, we'll see if you'd ever tempt <laughs> me to do that. <laughs> so when you first started going keto, did you build up to it before your Ironman? Uh Yes. In fact, I think for the, when I did it for Ironman, I'm not sure that I was really properly keto. I wasn't having carbs. I didn't have, hang on. No, that's not true. I I probably did have porridge for breakfast. It was, it was after a bit. It was just not taking in all the, all the carbs along the way up until then I'd probably, we'd as a, as a family, we'd started to, cut down on the um, starchy carbs, the pasta, bread, rice, potatoes anyway, just because it didn't really seem to make sense to me that they didn't, there wasn't a lot of nutrition in them. Mm. I mean, I'm not, I, I know that, you know, a, a potato has got some fantastic things in this, get any, you know, whole foods have got some, some, some nutrition, but by and large, really, I think any of the key nutrition you could get out of eating a potato skin, I could get, from eating other vegetables and I wouldn't have, you know, the starch, which wasn't giving me anything. So as a family, we were creeping in that direction anyway. So after the Ironman and I thought, you know, this not eating a load of sugar business has certainly helped in extremis because doing an Ironman is extreme. That's not a normal way to treat your body really. Um, But if, (laughs) if, if 
not relying on sugar can get me through something like an Ironman, it's really worth thinking about for everyday life. And I did a lot of research. I looked at Tim Noakes um, and Real Meal Revolution. And I realized that I was quite a long way down the line anyway, um, towards it. And certainly wasn't unwell, didn't, you know, wasn't type two diabetic or anything like that, uh, not overweight. Um, so didn't have any ailments that got healed by low carb. Uh, but I do remember taking the plunge. I thought, heavens above, it's one thing not to have much pasta, red bread, rice, potatoes. It's another thing to really think, okay, I'm not going to have any. <laughs> I'm going to have a really low um, amount of carbohydrate and replace it with fat. And I'd done all the research and I'd had some sort of knowledge about it, but it still was a leap of faith. And I thought, oh my goodness, I really might be taking a plunge into something which is a cult. I might end up with egg on my face. Mm. Or might, you know, have a, I might end up eating my own words at the end of the day. So I'm thinking, oh God, that was a mistake. I can't believe I was taken in by it. But so it was a definite, right, let's take a deep breath. Signed up to Real Meal Revolution, counted my macros, discovered I was actually eating more carbs than I thought I was. So I hadn't been ketogenic at all. Right. But I, but I probably was after that um, and took it from there. But it was a, it, so that was a bit of a long answer, really. Um, I wasn't a massive sugaraholic. Um, I didn't eat masses of carbohydrate beforehand, I think, compared to the rest of the population. Yeah. To take a leap of faith, really. Yeah. I always considered myself not to be eating a lot of sugar, but I'm sure if I added it up, it probably still was quite a lot, even though I didn't eat a lot of fake foods and I never ate. I'd have a few biscuits a day, but I'm sure if I added it all up, it would be quite high. Well, yeah, I mean, I was surprised. It was so useful. I don't count macros now or anything, but I, I really think it's helpful at the beginning for you, for anybody to really if they're interested to, and they can be bothered because it's a bit of a faff, but um, to find out realistically what the proportions are that they're eating, because I, I wasn't eating sugar and I wasn't eating starches. Um, I wasn't eating potatoes, but I was eating fruit and I was having my delicious smoothies. Um, you know, and which would be keep me going for the day and they'd have loads of avocados and nut butter and, and cream in them. Yep. But they'd have a banana, and suddenly I thought, blimey, that banana is not, you know, if I'm trying to minimize my carbohydrate intake, I need to nuke the bananas. So, you know, they, yeah, it was, it was a really useful learning process at the beginning. Yeah. So did you, did you have any cravings at the beginning for anything that you, probably not if you'd been weaning yourself off of them? I really didn't. And so I didn't have the headaches. I didn't have the keto flu. Um, and I think as you're, as you say, I think that's because it was a, a gradual lead in. So I, I don't think I was too toxed. I don't think I was too toxic really. Um, as for cravings, no, it's, I mean, when you first start something new um, and you're excited about it, you're quite motivated, aren't well, you can't, uh, it's quite easy for the first couple of weeks to be carried along just by, 
you know, excitement and seeing what it's like. And it's quite unusual. Um, and it's interesting counting your macros, or maybe that shows that I'm a sad geek, but uh, it was interesting. <laughs> and it was, it, that in itself was very motivating. And the Real Meal Revolution, there was a little course you did for the first couple of weeks, and that was really useful. So, no, I didn't have any cravings. I think now, five, six years on, I still don't get cravings, but I wouldn't say that I'm immune to wanting um, chocolate, cherry liqueur chocolates when I see them in Aldi near Christmas. I'm not completely immune to it. And I know that if I thought, okay, you know, what the hell, it's Christmas, I'll have a couple. I, I still once the sugar rush starts i find it quite hard to control so i it's probably easier for me to just cut it all out and go cold turkey but it's it's still there so that's i but i don't think i get cravings i just it's it's yeah i i think when you see things that you used to enjoy eating and probably still enjoy eating but you don't allow yourself to there's still that uh i have trouble around certain things that but i'm 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 a moderator so i can have something and then that's it i'll stop uh, even that's even amazing. before even before i was keto or low carb people were always amazed that i could just have four squares of chocolate even if i've got a great big bar and not eat the whole bar they were like, how can you do that but i always could that's a real skill that's a real that's that's real. but I, I mean what about do you find that i mean if i i can quite happily walk around a supermarket being hungry and not feel remotely interested in a um belgian bum um the things that would make it harder for me would be boredom stress those sort of emotional times when sugar's comforting or even if it's not sugar it might be I, I don't know something something carby I mean I, I tend not to give in to them because I know that you know I don't want to do I don't want to put put it into my body I mean what's the point really you know and I know in the long run it'll make me feel worse so I, I tend not to but those are the times it's not a craving wanting the sugar it's a it's an association with, and it's a, re, a learned reaction a learned response I think to, yeah. to a, it's a stress response um, yeah. I think lots of people lots of people feel that it's a habit that needs breaking a lot of the time so you said you started five six years ago how how's your diet changed in that time you mean how's the sort of ketogenic low carb diet has it has it changed modified yeah is right. it different now to what it was five or six years ago yeah it is um now that i've the ketogenic thing it was really useful when i was doing long distance swimming because when you're doing long distance swims, you, and I've never swum the channel. I've never done a, a, a solo swim or anything enormous like that. But if you read any accounts of people who do long distance swims, it always involves, I'm sorry, this is slightly gross, but it's not swearing, but it usually involves pee, poo and puke um, because people's stomachs get upset and, um, yeah, and, and if you imagine, if you're doing a long distance swim, you're cold, you've got to keep moving um, because you don't want to get 
any colder. You also don't want to be static for too long because if you're in a tidal um, zone, the tide might be pushing you back the way you've just come. And so you want to spend as little time as possible when you're not moving forwards. So you can't, when you're running or cycling, you can sort of amble along and eat something and chew on the go. And you can't do that when you're swimming. So any nutrition, any energy has to go in, in liquid form, really, in a bottle. So of course, that means some sort of sugary liquid. And after my Ironman adventures, I thought, well, I'm not going to do that. I, I would just rather avoid having to take in any nutrition at all, which is why I thought, heavens above, I'm not a skinny person. I'm not overweight, but I've certainly got a good old layer of fat on me. That will keep me going through any swimming I need to do. It was wanting to give myself access to that fat so that I didn't have to refuel on the way yeah. and have all these problems with sort of having sugary, maltodextrin-laden stuff along the way but anyway when the swimming when the keen swimming stopped the, the need to be ketogenic stopped as well um so i relaxed a little bit on on the carbs and when i say that i probably mean that um well i was probably eating i was probably really low carb maybe 100 grams a day not sort of 30 or 50 yeah so um there might have been a little bit more fruit more berries maybe i'm not a great fruit person anyway um and then when I went back to university studying nutrition related things, um, learning more about more about the gut microbiome, the whole concept of a diverse diet came into the picture. And I thought, I'm trying to keep a healthy gut microbiome. Um, that mean and, and by cutting out a lot of fruits, pulses, root vegetables, I am cutting down on my diversity which is you know the opposite of what I wanted to do so I had a bit of a think and so back in have gone the pulses and chickpeas and lentils um in a small way at first but you know I eat meat we eat meat so it's not like I'm needing to you know wolf down the pulses to you know give me all my protein or whatever um so but definitely more pulses now and more root veg you know, give me a give me a beetroot and, and and a carrot every now and again. So those are the ways that the carbs have crept back in. Um, still not on the pasta bread, rice, potatoes. Bread is a real treat on Christmas morning and my birthday. And it'll be like <laughs> sourdough bread, and I will have marmalade as well. God, I used to love marmalade. Still do. <laughs> but it's a fantastic treat. But they're treats rather than yeah. everyday occurrences. Definitely, definitely. I mean, again, you know, if I, I, I find for, for me, and everybody's a bit different, but for me, it's much easier for me to say I don't eat bread rather than thinking I'm not going to have bread very often. I, I'm not very, I'm not like you. I, I, I mean, it sounds like you could do that and I can't. It's just yeah. easy to say, uh -uh, I don't do it. I don't do it at home. I used to, if I went out for meals, I used to eat the bread that was put in front on, on the table. And now, the bread comes and I will have a look. And if it looks really nice, then I might have some. But if it looks not that great, then I won't bother. Uh, you know, whereas before I'd eat it, irrespective of what it looked like, it yeah. was bread and I would eat it. I know what you mean. I mean, I, I, I'm sometimes disappointed with it. So having a curry, for example, I mean, curries are fantastic. There's, you know, because as long as you, if, if you don't have the rice and the bread, you've got a pretty good 
you know, low carb meal, depending on, on what you put into it. But, but, uh, and every now and again, if somebody's having a naan, I'll say, oh, can I just have a taste of your naan? But do you know what? It, it is never as good as it looks. It's so sweet. My taste, have your taste buds changed? My taste buds are so completely different. Uh, not noticeably, but then I really don't have that much very often. So that's the one thing where I am more likely to go off plan and is an Indian meal out because I like my curry a rice and a Peshwari naan, which is really sweet yes. <laughs> and I'll eat it and I'll enjoy it. But then afterwards I would think, Oh, why did I do that? I go to bed uncomfortable. I can't sleep very well. And so I, it, what's the point? I probably shouldn't bother. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean, but I, th- I mean, I, I, I work with, I'm a health coach, so I'm helping people with their diets. I mean, it's not, I, I don't just work with people in their diet. It might be sleep, it might be stress, whatever. But if it's around the diet thing, it, it, I think if people can, eat sort of follow the 80 20 rule and if they're eating really good stuff 80 percent of the time and with the other 20 percent enjoy it make it mindful make you know don't just mindfully mindlessly bung in all the bread and the cakes and whatever without if you're going to eat bread and cake make sure you enjoy it you know yeah. you might as well but if you with, with the way people eat in this country if, if people are you know eating good healthy food um and you know what healthy food is is not you know a moot point but what you and i might think of as healthy 80 percent of the time you're doing pretty well yeah so i, I think it's yeah you, you can't beat yourselves up too much i don't think so how have your family your family mostly low carb as well or are they following in your footsteps or do they have to because you're the cook how does it work in her home well, at home now, there is only me and my husband because the kids have flown the nest. Um, my husband's very much on board. He wasn't at first. He thought I was mad, worried about the cholesterol, etc., etc. But he could see that I was doing sporting events without eating beforehand or during. He could see that I was slim. I was, you know, I had my... Um, health nhs health test and all my levels came back tip top so i was clearly all right and it made sense to him he's a scientist he you know he it made sense to him he understood it so he started trying it and he couldn't believe it he said i'm eating all this cheese i'm eating all this bacon um but he lost weight he wasn't overweight but he lost weight lost lost his pot belly you know it wasn't much of a pot belly but it went and so he was on board um my son very health conscious really interested in it he was doing lots of weight training when he was in his teens he thought it was great so that was good for him they're growing you know so of course they had some some carb but it was sort of whole food stuff you know rice perhaps and, and stuff rather than having loads of bread um my daughter she was vegetarian anyway um she is vegan and she's 23 she's been vegan for four years um I'm not wild about it, but it's not a fad for her. She's thought about it very hard. So no, she doesn't follow this same process. Um, But actually, there's an awful lot that we have in common around real food, not eating rubbish, 
she was a student, she did eat a lot of rubbish because there's an awful lot of vegan food that's rubbish. Doritos and Oreo cookies and beer, you know, that's all vegan. <laughs> um, cheesy chips, it's all vegan. Um, but, you know, now that she's left a university and we have some good conversations about it, there's an awful lot that we agree on. Uh, and, and as far as sustainability, um, you know, eating decent food that's come from good sources. Um, so, yeah, I'm not wild about her being vegan. I don't think it's a good idea, but what can I do? N- nothing. But she, <laughs> <laughs> at some point, if she if she gets unwell, she'll think about changing. But you can you can still keep low carb, eat real food, make sure you get all the nutrients that you need and be vegan. Absolutely. I think it's rather looking like, I don't know what your investigations have found, but I'm rather wondering if some people do quite well on a vegan diet, um, if they're sensible. And it's hard work. My God, it's hard work to make sure you get everything, all the right nutrients. And I'm not convinced. I mean, there's quite a lot of research out there that talks about uh, supplements not being very bioavailable and not necessarily doing you any good. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm anxious about all of that for all vegans, um, not just my daughter. Um, but some people really, it doesn't seem to suit. And of course, it might be something to do with how healthy they were beforehand, because there are some you know, nutrients that we build up a bit of a stock of in our body. So, you know, I mean, at moment, Lewis Hamilton has been vegan. He's relatively new vegan, I think, and he's firing on all cylinders and doing really well. But you know, mm. he's doing well in it. But but he's only just turned vegan, so he's perhaps not depleted in any of the. Uh, and he's got a, a fleet of nutritionists to make sure he's, and cooks probably to make sure he's getting the right Eating stuff. The right and food, I, yeah. I know, but I th- I think some people really suffer. So I don't know. It's really interesting area of research. I think we have to watch and wait, really. Yes, and. And if she's feeling fine and is fine, then there's probably not not a problem with it. Let's watch this space. (laughs) (laughs) So what's your what's your daily food intake look like on an on an average day? Kind of hot, annoyingly, I don't think I can do an average day. Um, Some another. Oh, well, when you you were asking about how my food is is, as. intake has changed over the last five or six years. Another change has been time restricted eating. Mm. Um, So that is quite a change, isn't it? So again, it's just through reading the literature, being interested in it and and, uh, it, it makes sense. So, but I'm out of interest. I mean, as I said, I'm interested in all these things. I think it's worth, doing a bit of self-experimentation. My sister was doing fantastically on the 5-2 Michael Mosley approach. I thought I'd give it a go as well. Um, it was okay. I did lose a bit of weight. Um, it was quite a nice way, actually, of doing things. But after a while, I've, I found the fasting days quite hard. Um, and I was thinking, well, do you know what? I don't know... Anyway, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't. I think if I'd wanted to carry on losing weight, I, I would have done it. But I didn't want to lose. I didn't need to lose weight. Um, but you know, if, if you look at time restricted feeding and fasting, just not snacking between meals is one end of the spectrum, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and we could have multi day fast at the other end of the spectrum. Uh, so with the sort of um, 
18, is it 18, six is my maths right? Yes. yes. 18, six approach. You know, really, I just thought, never mind 18, six, if I just don't have breakfast and maybe, and I'm freelance, I'm often working at home if I just don't have breakfast until 11, 12 o'clock, which was actually how it was working out anyway. Because mm-hmm. I don't know about you, I don't particularly, I'm not hungry in the morning. No. I'm just not hungry. And if like, you're not hungry, I've always thought, I mean, this is my rule of sort of um, eating. If you're hungry, eat. If you're not hungry, don't eat. When you're full, stop eating. And when you're not eating rubbishy food and you're eating real food, you're, you become in touch with your appetite again, don't you? So you're able to achieve that. And my way of, my body seemed to say, don't bother with breakfast. So discovering the research around 18.6 seemed to make sense. And then um, wonderful Wrong and Chatterjee, who I'm completely in love with, one of his <laughs> podcasts. Yeah, well, I don't know. Did you hear what he did? He's just put it out again, but um, a while ago with Sachin Panda talking about circadian rhythms and I did hear one but probably last year or the beginning yeah he's he's just it was a while ago yeah he's recut it and re-released it but you know that was that was the, the data there around how people can really help their health even if they don't change what they what they eat but they can if they do all their eating within a 10 or 12 hour window um, they seem to get some metabolic advantage, yes. even if they don't cut out the crap food, which makes sense. And now that, you know, I understand a lot of the, the mechanisms, or um, no, nobody understands all the mechanisms, but I've read a lot of the literature around it, and it, it just makes sense. So, you know, I, I really, 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 I can't remember the last time I ate or anything with outside a 12-hour window you know I always try as a minimum to leave 12 hours out between my last bite at night and my next intake in the morning definitely you know yeah so that's so that's 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 a bit of a change um what was your question because <laughs> I went back to a question before uh, that yeah I? you did so my question was um what does your average food oh. day look like yeah all right so um, not a breakfast at a sort of breakfast time. I probably have, I have a, uh, my first cup of coffee around eight, which is delicious. I really love it. That's one of my mindful moments, appreciating a cup of black coffee. Um, probably, and, and then when, probably do some exercise of some sort, if I haven't got clients first thing. First meal is often 10, 11, 12. Um, do you know, it's probably not even breakfast anymore. Um, it tends to be salad, salad mm. stuff possibly with um, some lentils, possibly with the, I don't know, salady stuff. If there's stuff in the fridge from leftover from a meal last night, it might be that. Yes. It's probably two meals a day, really. So that'll be something quite big and filling um, at breakfast, you know, just a late breakfast brunch. And then when, when my husband comes home, six, seven o'clock in the evening, have something then, and try and try and finish it by eight o'clock. Um, that's a sort of arbitrary cut off, you know, when we're not going out or something, try and finish everything by eight. Yeah. Sometimes I have to go and clean my teeth, so I definitely don't eat anything else. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I, I, heard, I was listening to a podcast yesterday and they were saying that about cleaning your teeth so you don't eat anything else. But they're also ah. saying 
to do that so that when you're ready to go to bed, you're ready to go to bed. So I was thinking of doing that because I do faff around doing my teeth and flossing and interdental brushes and all those things. And it takes me about half an hour to get ready for bed. So I was thinking, and then maybe, you're awake I should, again. maybe I should do it earlier in the evening and try. I don't eat after dinner. I never eat after. I used to, but I never, no, did I used to? Yeah, I always had some chocolate after my dinner. But now, and I still do have chocolate now, but instead of being that lovely fruit and nut, it's now 85% lint chocolate, which is not very pleasant. Oh, really? I love it. I no, really... I don't like it. I have to put butter on it and nut butter and things okay. to make it. I can eat it without nut butter and butter, but I prefer it with butter. I find it very bitter. So you wouldn't go for the 100% then? No, it's like eating. Well, no, not really. It's not I quite keep... chocolate, is it? No, not it's quite. not the same. But I, um, the thing that stopped me, because it's such a common thing, isn't it? That people say, oh, I just want a little something sweet after supper. And again, I think it's, you know, it's a habit that we can break. But sometimes you don't need to break the habit. You know, it, it's not always important. But sleep I do try to prioritize sleep and when you think of well I'm rather assuming that the more cocoa there is in your chocolate the more caffeine is in your chocolate so here's me thinking oh well I you know I have a couple of cups of coffee in the morning but not after about 11 o'clock because I want to prioritize my sleep and then if I'm eating chocolate that doesn't add up you know in the evening so I I don't know how much sort of caffeine hit there would be in some chocolate but I'm pretty certain there is some probably I I have it straight after my meal so I've already got food in my system and the most I'll have is one square so it's about two grams of carbs and 10 grams of chocolate you know the whole chocolate piece is 10 grams and sometimes I'll only have half a square so I'm sure it's not going to like, and I don't drink any caffeine at all now. Ah, right. Okay. So that was listening to Rangan Chatterjee. I cut out <laughs> tea completely. And I was. So what's real... your vices now? Have you got I don't have of... any. <laughs> don't have any. <laughs> no, not a lot. Um, yes, I don't drink tea. I could, I'll have an occasional cup of tea, but I was a real tea fiend hmm. having lots during the day and I, into the evening because it never bothered me and it never kept me awake or so I thought uh, no chocolate I have dark chocolate which I don't really enjoy I'll have it for some reason um, I've never been a great drinker so don't have any alcohol very often what else yeah I'm really quite strict with myself most of the time but it's obviously it's obviously working for you and you're happy with that and all think of all things you the lovely things you can eat yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really happy with really simple food. Give me a piece of meat and two veg and, I'm, and lots of butter and I'm really happy. So yeah, happy girl. Yeah. Yeah, I find that's what you, 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 it's one of the questions people ask. You say, well, what do you eat? And, uh, and uh, I, I, don't I don't think about what I can't eat. I just think about all the things I can. Yes. That are, and, 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 and they're just, there it's good food and it's delicious food and that's why I find I really don't understand the uh well 
One of the arguments against a ketogenic or low-carb diet for health is that it's not sustainable and people can't stick at it for a long time. And that's just not my experience. No, it's not my experience too. I, I find that there are occasions when you're out socialising and it's sometimes awkward. Um, yeah. And just wanting to join in and be with everyone else. But most of the time it doesn't, it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, I suspect that... I think one of the hardest things that people have to face if they're going to make the decision to cut down or to go low carb or keto or whatever. Um, one of the hardest things is other people, isn't it? Yeah. With other people not understanding and being very well meaning, but saying, Oh, go on one won't hurt. And if you understand some of the biochemistry and physiology, it might hurt. It might not. And if you're healthy metabolically, well, fine. But if you're type 2 diabetic or you've got non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or, or something, high blood pressure or something that you're wrestling with on that front, yes, one piece of cake, A, might upset the physiology and you know ruin your insulin levels and blah, blah, blah. Or, and it can set off that craving. And I, I wonder if, yeah. yeah. And I wonder if people who can't stick at it it's not that they couldn't stick at the low carb bit it's just that they still couldn't give up the sugary treats you know the hold the addictive hold of sugary stuff was too hard to to give up too long term i, I don't know I, it'd be really interesting to find out yeah that's a research project there so well you've been doing some research into cakes in the workplace haven't you <laughs> tell us a bit about that yes i I said earlier that I went back to university. Um, I, I've been a, I was a uh, leadership uh, development and management training consultant in, in a corporate setting. Um, so I was helping people, I was training people, helping them to be better managers, leaders, influencers, better strategic thinkers, that sort of thing, coaching them. Um, and I, I thought with all my interest in exercise um, that I could probably help people perform better at work and have a better quality of life overall if I help them to be healthier. And this, I don't know, this was before workplace health and well-being was such a thing and i didn't quite have the courage to stride out in this new direction i wanted to have some qualifications i wanted to have some credibility behind me um, i sometimes wonder if that was a good idea perhaps if i sort of got cracking i'd have 10 years under my belt now and i, I would have learned on the job but i didn't so i thought it was all about exercise and i applied and i got a place on a master's course uh, to do a, a master's in nutrition and exercise science but one of and this was at Ch university of chester but this was a modular course that i could do you know you, you go for a week at university every now and again and then you come home and you do your research and you write your essays and, and so you, it fits in really nicely with um, everyday life and you can carry on working but it was a modular course and you they said oh if you like you could do a couple of um, modules from the cardiac rehabilitation masters or the obesity and weight management masters and I thought fancy doing a whole master's on obesity and weight management but I had a look and it absolutely was perfect it, it really it was so interesting it completely satisfied what I thought I was going to need so I ditched the exercise 
the nutrition science and, and did the obesity and weight management course. And as part of that, you have to do a piece of original research. And I wanted to make it relevant to my work, which was in the workplace. So I researched, I did the first academic research into uh, office cake culture mm. in the UK, um, which often gets you, so you've got a little smile, people can't see you, but I can see you are smiling now. And that's what, how people, that's what happens. People, so they look at, I say, oh, I'm researching cake and, and, and they look at me and they smile, but they also say, I know what you mean. And it originally, straight away, people will either say, oh my God, in my office, it's absolutely terrible. There's wall-to-wall cake. There's so many birthdays. It used to be just birthdays and now it's everything. Or people go, well, it's ridiculous. Of course, there's some cake in the workplace, but what's the matter with that? Nobody's forcing you to eat it. Um, What's the problem? Um, and, And it's a very emotive subject but there was no data on it so people would argue about it but there was no data so that's what I did and I did a a big um I did a big questionnaire I designed a questionnaire and nearly a thousand UK office workers filled in the questionnaire so I've got information now on um a little bit more about what office cake looks like how many times it's eaten, where, who brings it in, what sort of things people eat, what occasions people eat it for. I've got data on people's own office cake behaviour, their reactions to it, when they do it, how they feel about doing it, what makes them do it, who persuades them to do it or whatever. And then the last um, piece of the mix is how they feel about it. You know, whether they think it's a good thing, there's a bad thing, what are the advantages, what are the disadvantages. Um, and yes, that research is, is, I hope, um, maybe by the time this podcast comes out, it will have been published. It's been accepted for publication in a peer reviewed journal. So I really hope that that will, the publication will give it a bit more credibility and I can start to engage more employers in a conversation about it because, uh, it, uh, in if you think about the public health question we have at the moment, an awful lot of us are overweight, have all sorts of metabolic illnesses, um, and the, the links between though that and our diet are very very well established. Yes, um, and it's really difficult if all the effort for people to try and become healthier through diet and lifestyle. It's a real shame if all the responsibility is, is on the individual. I mean, ultimately, we're the people that put the food in our mouths. But heavens above, where it's really difficult to stay healthy if our environment is enticing us not to be healthy. Um, and you can walk down the high street and be absolutely bombarded with message to, messages to eat even your sense Smells. of smell yeah. yes exactly and even if you're thinking right at home i'm not going to have anything unhealthy you just look at your you look watch tv and there's tv ads saying burn the oven get a delivery or you know yeah. it, 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 it's constant, we are, constant it's, bombardment it, it really is and i can't help thinking that at the moment employers aren't doing as much as they could do to make the workplace environment easier to be healthy in 
Um, now, I'm not pointing fingers at, at employers because an awful lot of them are doing great things and there are, you know, there's, there's more, more salad bars, there's more initiatives to get people moving, standing desks, signs on the lift saying, why don't you take the stairs? There's lots of good stuff going on and a lot of organisations are working really hard. But something Being undermined is, by this cake. I think you're absolutely right because it costs, it's quite hard to achieve, you know, there's lots of studies on it. Um, it's quite hard to show that the money you're invested in your employees on helping them stay healthy, lose weight, move more. It's quite hard to prove that the money you're spending is actually doing any good mm. because there are so many other influences out there. Um, and but one so it, it's a big investment for employee employers and I'm just thinking what a shame if all their hard work is being undermined by office cake yeah um, and so it's what, a shame what yeah. do you feel about replacing cake with I'm gonna say in inverted commas fruit which is supposedly healthy how do you feel about that um, I think realistically we have to take it in small steps. I mean, uh, so if people, yes, it would be better. It would be better if people ate fruit than cake or crisps. Um, at least they'd be getting some uh, vitamins and it might fill them up a bit. Um, but I would question, so that's one of the questions people ask is, well, what do we replace it with? And the research said that what people would like, would find acceptable was either cake, but less often, or fruit. Fruit was the most popular alternative. Mm. Um, but actually, my an argument from a ketogenic low-carb point of view is if, you eat, if you're eating whole food and you're not hungry, actually, you don't need to snack at all. But our Western diet is making us, is driving our hunger, and that's what help make, makes us want to eat so you know the really cruel answer is we shouldn't be snacking and we shouldn't replace cake with anything but realistically that's that's not going to work in the short in the short term no. so you know i think anything to help people think about it i mean what the, the one of the most interesting things about the research that i think is a really positive thing and gives us something to work with um is that i asked one of the one of the last questions I asked, it was quite a long questionnaire. So by the time people got to this question, they answered a lot of questions and they were, they were really thinking hard about office cake. And I, one of the questions at the end was, well, what is the ideal frequency for, for office cake? And by this time people had said, well, yeah, you know, lots of people had told me that it was a, re you know, it was cheered people up and it was a good way to reward people and it brought people together. So there is that sort of coming together, Very celebrating. Social. Exactly, which is which is really important. Um, but anyway, this question: How? What do you think is the ideal frequency for office cake? And well, what do you? Well, no, I can't ask you because I know that you've 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 had a look at it. But when I ask people what they think, people said was I gave people a choice. I said you could choose from every day to twice a week, once a week, once a fortnight, once a month, or never. And the most popular, this is a thousand people, 40% yep. uh, men. So an awful lot of nutrition and diet research doesn't involve very men, very many men. Mm -hmm. um, they're not, they don't tend to be interested in that sort of research. So this is quite nice because it's got almost half and half. Yep. Anyway, 95% um, said once a week or less. Or less. And the most popular 
choice people went for 41 nearly half the people said once a month would be ideal so i think that's really interesting i, mm. I you know it, there's something that's saying we could perhaps and this is only one study and other people need to follow it up and we need to do more research to find out if that's right um and find out all sorts of other stuff about it but actually if that is the case we could please most of the people most of the time by saying well how often do you think we ought to have it in this workplace uh, if people say if everybody agrees right once a week would be great then you could have it once a week uh, make it quite a big deal have you know it wouldn't work in every workplace but wouldn't it be great sort of Friday, four o'clock, near the end of the working day, out comes the cake. It's been out of sight until then. So out of sight, out of mind, out of mouth, yep. out of stomach. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, get everybody together, get the cakes out, have a cup of tea, have a chat, have all those, um, you know, all that social um, connect connection, networking um, benefits. Um, and everybody has a nice time and you've had cake once a week and that's it and the rest of the time if it's not there and that means you get the social benefits as yes. well as the health benefit of not having so much sugar around i mean this isn't about banning if somebody wants a twix at their desk you can't stop people doing that this isn't about removing personal choice but what we know about human behavior is if if food is there and it's delicious food that we find palatable, we'll eat it. And if we see other people eating it, we feel we want to eat it as well. It's very yes. hard to avoid it. it so I think there's some, there's some really exciting nuggets in there, but I really hope once this research is published, um, I, I can work with. with and give, give people, give businesses, employers, a way of a different way of thinking about it really and to yes. to go back to the workforce and say is this what we should be doing what we're currently doing or do we want to change it and start a conversation about it yes i mean if my guess and i don't know but again you know, delving into the literature literature around social influencing and the way that we influence each other and you know if we're with friends we're more likely to eat more um and if we're if you know if, if our neighbor eats a lot we're more likely to eat a lot and if they don't we're more likely not to so we're very influenced by the people around us yeah we're herd people animals think, aren't we yeah we are and people think People don't think they are influenced by other people. Everybody said, you know, a lot of people think, oh, no, I'm, I'm independent. I make up my own mind. But it's a subliminal thing we don't realise. Um, and, and if we're looking around and seeing other people eating cake and it's always there and it's hard to avoid it, it gets eaten. So it's, you know, so we're assuming that everybody else is really enjoying it and that perhaps we're the only one that's thinking, oh, really, again, we had it yesterday, maybe it would be good not to have it again today. But it takes a very brave person, doesn't it, to stick their head up above the parapet to go, oh, hello, sorry, I know you're all having a lovely time with the cake, but I don't think we should. Should we do it less often? I mean, nobody's going to say nobody's that. Gonna do that. Right. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to Everybody's thinking up. it. That's what this research says. It suggests yeah. that's what everybody's thinking but they don't say it. And so we're having more and more cake in the workplace because nobody dare talk about it. Mm. And I think we should talk about it. So that, I think that's the way in for employers, not banning it, but to start a conversation about it. And then yeah. people will How can we do it differently. Yeah. yeah. So, so Lou, um, when you did this research, was there any difference in 
the behaviour or attitudes according to age around cake consumption? That is a really good, yeah, no, that's a really good question. Yes, there was. Um, And again, it's another area that needs delving into. There isn't a lot of research out there about attitudes according to age, uh, sort of food intake according to age. There's quite a lot about male and female and gender differences. And so the research found quite a lot of differences between men and women. And I think this is perhaps one of the reasons it gets quite contentious because men tend I know this is a generalization, but it's a statistically different generalization. So that's one source of argument. The other source of argument potentially is, is the age difference. And um, I, div- I divided everybody. I asked them to tell me which age group they fell into. And so there was um, 18s to 29s, 30 to 49s and 50 pluses. So broadly, the, the youngest age group was kind of millennial, Gen Y. Um, and the differences between the the millennials and the 50 pluses were really quite stark so not for everything but for example oh, uh, the people in the older age group felt that or far fewer of them felt that cake or chocolates or you know treats sweet cakes was a good way to reward people in the workplace mm. Um, whereas young people thought, yeah, great, that's fantastic. So you can see, whereas the older people, I mean, from what I know in my, you know, my experience is that older people will be thinking, well, yes, I'm very pleased that you want to recognise me, but is a box of Krispy Kreme all it's worth when I was here all weekend finishing that report or staying late to, you know, get the year end numbers in? Um, you know, a box of chocolates costs nothing. And it, you, know, you could, I mean, it's a nice thing to do. All of these things come from ge- a place of generosity, but um, actually what the older people were, what I'm imagining, I don't know, was they might like um, some sort of thank you, some development, some sort of recognition. Um, there might be all sorts of other ways within a workplace to have a treat. That yes. doesn't Whereas the younger people were saying, yeah, cake's a brilliant way to reward somebody or recognize somebody. Yeah, interesting. Also, the older people were more likely to eat it. Um, but, and then, and do, and not to compensate. Well, whereas younger people um, would perhaps eat the cake but then they would go for a run or not have a pudding or have a smaller meal later on in the day so the younger people would be compensating Mm. Um, so there there are some some real differences so again I can see from an employer's point of view both the sort of gender difference and the age group difference means that if your workplace has got a mixture of people and genders and and uh, so and uh, it's it's going to be very different according to you know what you've what you've got you're gonna if people are gonna find it hard to agree yeah but at least uh, starting a conversation is a good way to uh, to begin uh, yeah that's absolutely it just starting conversation and uh, you know where that's happened i've been doing lunch and learns with people uh talking to organizations for health and well-being events that sort of thing if you start a conversation going and it only takes um a little mailchimp um survey how often do you think, you know, send it around the company or around your team so that, and you make, you make it anonymous so no, you don't know who's answered and who hasn't. And then you get your own results back and you say, well, according to this, 80% of us think we should have cake once a week. Why are we having it three times a week? 
shall why don't we do it? 80% of us think once a week and, and what should we do about it? And of course, people say, well, let's try and do it once a week. And mm. once they've discussed, once they've discovered that they all think the same, people start saying, well, I always wondered, you know, and people start being a bit more open about it. Yes. And they come up yeah. with their own solutions. And, you know, it, it spreads, you know, once people, yeah, it, it, it does, it has worked. Anecdotally, I haven't got any research, but anecdotally, it does work. You've just got to get a conversation started. Good. So before we finish off and I ask you the last questions, how can people get in contact with you? Oh, um, I am on Twitter. That's my main social media thing, really. I am at rethink cake <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and that's the thing you know don't ban cake don't don't you know don't disc cake just rethink cake so that's yeah rethink cake um on facebook um i am lou walker health coaching uh and uh my website is very simple louwalker.com excellent so to finish up with looking back on your keto journey and where you've come to now what if anything would you do differently um i don't think i would do anything differently i've you know it's it's crept up it's developed i'm comfortable with it i'm healthy um everything no i wouldn't do anything differently good excellent and what three tips would you give to somebody starting low carb or keto um, I've got four. I couldn't okay. Three. Sorry. <laughs> That's fine. I'm <laughs> um, sure people will be pleased to hear them. <laughs> I would say, and I mentioned it once before, rather than focusing on all the things you can't have that yeah. you might love, and it is hard to give up sugar, I think it's addictive. People it will argue addictive. about that. It's addictive. And if it's not addictive, it's very hard to give up. So, you know, we have to go in this with our eyes open. So it's, it's a toughie. But rather than focusing on all the things you can't eat, I think it's worth focusing on all the brilliant things you can have. Mm. So if you're trying to lose weight on a normal low-fat low diet, you might have had a salad for lunch and you're feeling a bit hungry and you're feeling a bit deprived and all you've got to look forward to, so you're thinking about food, that's what happens, all you've got to look forward to is something that's not particularly uh delicious or you know fulfilling satisfying but heavens above if you're on on low carb or keto you might be able to treat yourself you might have to have have your meal you might be able to put some butter or some olive oil on your veg you might be able to have a bowl of berries with some cream afterwards i mean or a small piece of cheese or something i mean there's some really nice satisfying things that are gonna make your mouth feel happy and your brain feel happy so i think focus on what you can eat rather than what you can't eat so that's number one number two would be to cook and i know not everybody can and i know lots of people are scared or, or, or nervous try to learn to cook because then you're in control if you're relying on packets it's a hell of a lot harder and probably more expensive so cooking your own food is brilliant and rather than i don't even rely on keto cookbooks i'm a, I'm a keen cook i'm quite competent but there's so many things normal recipes that you can adapt yeah. so if you can cook you've got so much more control over all you know over what you can eat and, and have a huge range of food so cook that's number two um number three be prepared to explain to people what you're doing and you have to fight your corner a little bit because people are very well-meaning 
when they say, oh, go on, surely one piece won't do any harm. And some people get a bit sniffy about it. Some people don't understand it and they respond perhaps they don't understand, but they might be a bit aggressive or give you a hard time. So we've had lots of years of indoctrination about how we should eat, which is not necessarily yes. the right way. And so I think you've got to be quite brave sometimes. It, it shouldn't be like that, but anybody doing anything a little bit different. But if you think about it, actually, we are going back to the way we used to eat. We used to, you know, the shop every day, we used to get fresh veg, we used to cook it, we used to eat meat that had, you know, been brought up in the next village or the next town. You know, our food was local, it was seasonal. We're only going back to that. That's all we're doing. So actually, it's a, it's a time-honoured way of eating, really, or much closer to that. So that's yep. number three. Um, and number four is listen to your appetite. Mm. Because really, I think one of the habits we get into is to eat at mealtimes um, or to eat when other people are eating or to eat because it's lunchtime, but actually we're not hungry. But a low-carb or a keto diet or a whole food, real food diet that gets rid of the processed food helps makes it so easy for you to listen to your appetite yeah um, so i think that all those things probably plat together excellent yeah so four things that's and fantastic. do it number five give oh it a go what's do it, the harm? absolutely the harm? for six weeks you know working when i'm working i'm a i'm a um ambassador for the public health collaboration and uh so with them i work with local gps to try and support them in offering a real food or low carb approach to helping their patients deal with type 2 diabetes and um oh gosh i can't remember what i was going to say now just try it six weeks oh yes thank you um i would really always encourage anybody who's flirting with it to give it a go and i think that, that applies to gps healthcare professionals practice nurses give it a go in six weeks even if you are worried that it's harmful and it's going to do terrible things to your cholesterol which it won't unless you're very unlucky six weeks try it for yourself and then you're going to find out you're going to be an advocate for it and, and you'll lose weight and you'll you know you won't be hungry and you know some good things will happen so even if you're skeptical try it just try it. Six Absolutely. Weeks. Definitely. Long. That's what I say. Yeah. Well, Lou, thank you for joining me. It's been a fantastic conversation. Really interesting about the cake research and Iron Man. I never think I'd do that, but it's been really interesting to chat with you. Who thought we would ever talk about cake on a keto podcast, eh? <laughs> yeah, but it, it could lead in great places and just making people more aware of of how it's influencing them and affecting them. Well, thank you for giving, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to tell you about it and hopefully your listeners will find it interesting or useful. Yeah, great. So great. thank you very much. Thanks, Jackie. Real pleasure. Thank you. That was another great episode. Thanks, Jackie, for interviewing Lou Walker. Um, sounds like her results will have hopefully some great impact on workplace cultures yeah, it would be really good if if people started thinking about these things so it really does add an interesting twist obviously what we saw obviously during lockdown when we were 
obviously wanting to give food treats to a number of our obviously NHS heroes particularly you know all those donuts and cake um, to especially health professionals yeah makes us really rethink the cake in the office and even though we don't eat fruit as she was saying fruit is better than than the cake and with all the grains and the wheat Mm, absolutely so Jackie where can we find the show notes for this episode you can find the show notes at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero one eight. So all the links that were mentioned throughout the episode can be found on the Fabulously Keto website. So that'd be really great. Hey Jackie, you know when you were starting out with keto, you probably had loads of questions. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Don't you wish you just had someone who was able to give you just the simple answers to all those questions about macros, electrolytes, reading nutrition labels and sweetness? Absolutely, yeah. Well, we want to have an episode where you, dear listener, can AMA, which stands for Ask Me Anything. You'll be able to ask us anything using a Fabulously Keto webpage where there is a contact form and you could submit your questions, which we will answer on these episodes. The contact page is fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. Whether you're just starting out or experienced in your journey, we will happily answer your questions. You don't have to be new to keto, so if you're further along in your journey and have questions on being stuck on a plateau or a stall, then feel free to submit your questions as well. Just head over to www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Follow us on social media. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, fabulouslyketo1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know that you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle fabulouslyketo1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories And this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.